Janelle and I were in a restaurant, imagine that, about a month ago. We were sitting there eating, and I looked up, and something caught my attention. I watched this older lady. She, she tied one of those sheer headscarves around her hair. I don't know if I don't just pay attention or if truly ladies don't wear those sheer-looking headscarves like they did when I was a kid. It was like I was transported back to when I was 10 years old and it seemed like every lady in the church and those out about town would have one of those sheer-looking scarves in their purse and an ounce of wind and cover that bouffant and that beehive up. Which then I started thinking about the elder ladies in the church and I used to see a lot more handkerchiefs. Maybe you all are looking at me like, where in the world have you been? We still have them, but I, maybe I just don't pay attention. I just remember those old ladies, those elders in the church, they had those fancy embroidered or laced around their handkerchiefs, and they'd take those things out, and they would wipe their tears, or they would wave them sometimes before the Lord as a wave offering. This past Friday, I ran over to Vandalia, Illinois, because I wanted my mom to bring me something, and she did because I'm her favorite. Her and dad met me there, and I, we ate lunch, and I got what I wanted, and I headed back to St. Louis. Right here, ladies and gentlemen, is my great-grandmother's handkerchief. She was pretty old when I was pretty young, but I still knew her and talked to her. That's a picture of her up there, her and Grandpa. I imagine her sitting in church on the, the little church. It was the third row on the right-hand side. And I imagine her having this handkerchief in her hand. And I can see her wiping tears. She prayed. Maybe there's some tears embedded in this that where she saw me, her great-grandson, up at the altar praying, and she prayed some prayers for me. And those tears were embedded in this handkerchief. So thankful for those prayers, thankful for generations of prayers prayed for me, even thankful I have something tangible that connects me to those prayers. It was about 727 BC and Hezekiah began to reign in Judah. And the Bible tells us in 2 Kings 18 and also in 2 Chronicles 29, some of the feats of Hezekiah and, and the type of guy he was. He was 25 when he began to reign. He took the throne of Judah. He did, the Bible tells us, what pleased the Lord, just like David, his ancestor, had done. His dad Ahaz, the king before him, had all types of shrines set up. I don't know if you remember, he's the guy that I spoke about a couple weeks ago that just completely shut the church down, built shrines all over the place, had, had a pagan altar built and placed in the courthouse of the house of God. Let's just say Judah was a mess under King Ahaz's rule. But Hezekiah came in and started cleaning house. He removed the shrines, he smashed the sacred pillars, he cut down the Asherah poles. It got so crazy under Ahaz's rule. Do you remember back 
When the children of Israel were walking in the wilderness and they rebelled, yes, one of the many times, but poisonous snakes came and attacked the camp. Do you remember this story that you heard about in in Sunday school? And God instructed their leader, Moses, I want you to take some brass, some bronze, and I want you to make a serpent and put it on a stick and lift that serpent in the air. And when anybody looks at that serpent, they'll be instantly healed from any poisonous snake bite. That happened in the wilderness. Let's put this in perspective. That lifting up the bronze serpent happened in about 1423 BC. We're talking almost 700 years later, Judah still had that artifact. Do you know what all happened in Israel's history from the time Moses led the children of Israel in the wilderness to the time Hezekiah took the throne in Judah, a whole lot happened. Maybe to us, to even further get it, it would be like us having an artifact from 1323. I tried to research and gunpowder was invented then, or better yet, they said the hourglass to keep track of time was made then. So it would mean that you would have the first ever hourglass in your possession. That would be quite fascinating. The problem was these people had taken that bronze serpent and made it a god They named it Nehushtan, something like that, and they started offering sacrifices to it. But Moses made it. God instructed Moses to make it. Yes, but they had turned something that was just an emblem, just a foreshadow of something to come, just a sign of obedience. They had turned it into a God, into something they worshiped, into something they kept track of and cherished. So do you know what Hezekiah did when he got a hold of that brass serpent? 700 years in their history, Hezekiah busted it and threw it in the trash can. In those 700 years, Israel had many wars. Think of how many leaders and captivities. They even lost the word of God. Do you remember that time they were cleaning out the temple and said, hey, hey, we found the book of the law. What should we do with this? They lost the word of God. In those 700 years from Moses to Hezekiah, they lost identity. They lost property. They lost significance. They lost relationship with God. They lost truth. They lost leaders. They lost children. They lost inheritance. They lost freedom. They lost unity. But they didn't lose the bronze snake. Whoever was caretaker of that thing, I need them to follow me around with my car keys. Because it goes without saying, 700 years, this was not in the possession of one person. This thing was passed down through generations and preserved through wars and through upheavals and through battles. And they still had this. 
Ladies and gentlemen, we must be very careful that some things that we do, some things we believe are not just a form of superstition, are not something we hold on to all the while missing the main point. Just because great-grandma prayed rocking in her rocking chair with a shawl around her back and had a handkerchief in her hand does not mean that's the only way God can answer prayer. So many, so, so some of us may think, and, and you can do what you want and act like you want, and, and as long as you get a hold of great-grandma's handkerchief, then God is going to answer all your prayers, and everything is going to be all right. You have sadly and greatly missed the point. It had nothing to do with the chair, had nothing to do with the shawl, had nothing to do with the handkerchief. It had everything to do with grandma had a powerful prayer life and relationship with Jesus Christ. Some may think I don't care if it rains or freezes as long as I got my plastic Jesus sitting on the dashboard of my car. Yeehaw. You can have a cross in every car, in every room of your house, and put two of them on top of the TV. This is not a hocus pocus. They'll chase the devil away and sanctify my property statuary. Please don't misunderstand me. I'm not preaching against having a cross. What I am saying is we need to fall in love with Jesus who died on the cross, not just as an emblem or a representation. We need to have a relationship with Jesus, not just some pretend thing because we have a cross hanging from our rearview mirror. We need to pray for ourselves, not just hold great-grandma's handkerchief. Don't stumble on the relic and miss the reality of who he is. There would have been nothing wrong with having that brass serpent as a testimony of the power of God and use it as an object lesson to teach their children of the greatness of God. Matter of fact, my mom has this shadow box, I think it is in her house, and she's got all kinds of handkerchiefs in there. When one of the elders of the painted church died, she asked the kids, she said, can I get one of her handkerchiefs? And so in that shadow box, she has all these handkerchiefs, and every night she burns incense to it. No, she don't. Because she does that, we'll burn the handkerchiefs. But it's a memory in that box of Sister Spar twirling in the paint of church with her handkerchief. It's a memory of Sister Dilbeck and Sister Sanders and Sister Morris and Sister Cox and Grandma Sims praying for that church to stay strong and for ancestors of that church to go out and do work in the kingdom. There's nothing wrong with it if we don't pray to the box and the, the handkerchiefs in the box, but realize who they pray to and have the same relationship as those ladies had with the same God they have. Judah worshiping that bronze snake. They forgot all about God and simply worshiped the object. So Hezekiah, he did the right thing. I don't care how hard it was, 700 years up to that point to get that thing there, how many battles it went through, how hard it was to preserve, how much it was worth, how even sentimental it was. 
It had become a stumbling block. It had become a God to them. Hezekiah broke it and threw it away. I like Hezekiah. He did what was right no matter who was against him. No matter how hard it was, no, how, no matter how unconventional it seemed to be, the Bible even tells us there was no one like Hezekiah and all the kings of Judah before him or came after him. He was the real deal. He remained faithful. He carefully obeyed the commands God had given to Moses. He's like the John Wayne of Judah. Rough and tough and didn't care. In the very first month, they just got this guy in office. The first month, he opened the church back up and started cleaning up. He got all the preachers together and said, meet me out on East Street. And said, listen up, guys. First of all, straighten up. Next of all, sanctify yourselves. Sanctify the church. Get everything out of the church that is not holy. Our dads have made a mess of things. They shut down the church. They don't worship God any longer. They've turned their backs on him. And Judah has suffered greatly. Our families have suffered greatly. Our children have suffered greatly. The enemy has come in and controlled us because of this. People have died and people have been taken into captivity. Hezekiah went on and said, I have it in my heart to make a covenant with God. And all those Levites said, we're on your side. Let's do this. They sanctified themselves. Then they started working on the temple. They started carrying stuff out of that temple and they threw it in the Kidron Valley. Or I can loosely say they threw it in the junkyard is where they threw it. Then they went back to Hezekiah 16 days later, and they told him what they've done. They said, we've taken all the filthiness out. And then they added, also, the vessels for proper worship in the temple that your dad Ahaz threw out because of his sin, we got them all back, and we placed them all back in the temple for proper worship to our God. Judah... You didn't lose the bronze serpent for 700 years and it turned into a god and you worshipped it. But the utensils to use so we can properly repent and worship God, you readily just threw out of the temple and shut the doors down. Ultimately, that's what they did. Can I say again, we've got to be very careful to understand what we're doing and why we're doing it. We're certain to put the pulpit right here and right like this, keep the words just like that, put the choir in that area, make sure the light shines right here and right there. Please hear me out. None of that's wrong or bad in and of itself. But I have watched churches who made certain the protocol was correct, but they threw out the anointing. The twirly lights are on, but they threw out, clap your hands, all ye people, and shout unto God with the voice of triumph. Every
every note was on key and perfected, but they neglected to say, Praise him on the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the psaltery and harp. Praise him with the timbrel and dance. Praise him with the stringed instruments and organs. Praise him with the loud cymbals. Praise him with the high sounding cymbals. They forgot it was not just about the stage, but it says, let everything, let everything that hath breath, let there be a praise given to him. We don't do it for protocol or professionalism. We do it with excellence because he's the king of all kings and he is an excellent God. You can change the music, don't change the anointing. You can change the method, don't change the message. You can throw out the pulpit, but don't throw out the preaching of the word. You can throw out the sound system, but don't throw out the shout. You can stop the choir, but don't stop the dance. You can alter the styles, but don't you ever alter holiness. He has called us to be like him. I sometimes get concerned when I preach like this because I don't want to ever be misunderstood of what I'm saying. I'm not saying tradition's bad. I'm not saying artifacts are ungodly. I'm not saying old music's better than new or new music's better than old. I'm saying we've got to punch through what we're doing and why we're doing it. Thank God grandma was saved. But her relationship with Jesus was her relationship with Jesus. You need to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Thank God grandma prayed in a rocking chair holding a handkerchief for generations to come. But I've got to learn to work out my own prayer life with him. Thank God these singers with the anointing and they bless us every week. But getting a recording of them and just feeling a chill bump every now and then does not mean you have the anointing. That comes from time spent in the presence of God. That comes from battles being fought and ended in victory. Thank God for the theologians and the scholars in this church where we're blessed to hear them teach. But that doesn't negate us to study yourself to be approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Don't keep a 700-year-old hour artifact and throw out the testimony behind it. Don't keep daddy's Bible and never get in the word yourself. Don't meticulously practice every note on this platform and miss the prayer room for the anointing. Don't keep great-grandmother's handkerchief and never pray to great-grandma's God. Because Hezekiah cleaned house. Because Hezekiah sanctified himself. Because Hezekiah opened church back up. Because now there was proper repentance and worshiped. 
This is what the Bible says, 2 Kings 18, the verse, first part of it, verse 7. And the Lord was with Hezekiah, and he prospered whithersoever he went. The Lord was with Hezekiah, and Hezekiah was successful in everything that he did. This did not happen because he was lucky. This did not happen because Hezekiah had talent. This did not happen because great-grandma's handkerchief. This happened because he made up in his mind, come what may, bring it on, everybody. For me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. For me and my house, we have made up our mind, we're going to live for Jesus. He was going to obey the commands of God. He was not worried about popular opinion. He was not worried about breaking tradition and protocol. He was going to follow God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. I kind of think of another leader of Israel who was determined also to do God's word and do his will. Joshua 1.8, you know the verse well. This book of the law, don't you dare let it depart out of your mouth, but you meditate on it and think about it and rehearse it, and then you observe to do according to all that is written therein. When you have done that, then thou shalt make thy way prosperous. Then thou shalt have good success. Some people aren't prospering. Some people aren't having good success. And I understand life is life sometimes. I understand we all go through valleys and hardships. But I'm talking about those who are constantly beat up and beat up on this side. They never have peace in their home. And this goes wrong and that goes wrong. I may not have all the answers and this may not be the complete issue, but I think we can turn to the Word of God and all of us learn some things. Judah was in turmoil. Constantly beat up. Constantly under the rule of Assyria, their enemy. Paying tribute and doing what the enemy told them to do. Never had a say. Never had peace. Never enjoying life. King Ahaz made it worse. Shut down the church. Closed it down. Worshipped false gods. Holding on to emblems that worked for their ancestors. But not holding on to the God of their ancestors. Hezekiah was raised in all of that junk. Yet Hezekiah stepped out and said, That is enough. I have had enough. Somebody needs to remember who you are. I'm not concerned who dad is, what dad was like, and if you have or don't have great grandmother's handkerchief. If you do have something in down inside of your heart, then it is time for you to stand up and square your shoulders back and say, that is enough. You need to start doing what Hezekiah doing. Sanctify yourself. 
Repent. Clean your life up and then start cleaning house. Throw that trash in the yard. You don't need it anyway. It may not be popular opinion of everybody in the household. It may not even be the popular opinion of the person across the aisle, but they don't know the turmoil that your house is in. They may not understand the battles you are fighting, but somebody needs to say, as for me and my house, I'm going to serve the Lord. Can I read again what happened to Hezekiah when he did this? 2 Kings 18, verse 7, and the Lord was with him, and he prospered whithersoever he went forth. And Hezekiah rebelled against the king of Assyria and served him not. He was done with the oppression. He was done with the service to the enemy. His dad had made all that agreement and was buddy-buddy with the enemy and it was destroying Judah and Hezekiah said, no more. I'm throwing those chains off. He also went on in verse number 8. He smote the Philistines even unto Gaza and the borders thereof from the tower of the watchman to the fenced city. Not only did Hezekiah say, we're not making one more payment to our enemy. We're not giving one more ounce of space or time to our enemy. We're not serving our oppressor for one more second. He also got on the offensive and started taking things back that the enemy had stolen from them. Start taking some territory back that the enemy had taken from them. He started driving back the forces of darkness. How did he do this? Because he finally stood up and said, I have had enough. And for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Musicians and singers will come. People of the living God. I'm glad you have great-grandmother's handkerchief. What powerful prayers she prayed that still carry on. But it is high time. It is past time for some of us to get tired of being pushed around with every onslaught of the enemy. Tired of seeing him just come in and cherry pick what he wants from the church. Somebody start cleaning house. Start throwing stuff in the Kidron Valley. Take it to the junkyard. Bury that stuff and start replacing it with vessels of worship. Turn off the TV and open the Bible. Stop learning the lyrics to every secular and filthy song and start singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs. Cancel some of your 15 movie subscriptions and start giving money to missions so everybody knows him. Stop having to say, oh, I remember back when the elders used to do that. I remember back when I used to dance before the Lord. I remember back when the elders would start rocking and praying in the Spirit. I have come to ask you, when was the last time you prayed in the Spirit? When was the last time somebody carried you out drunk? 
together. The Lord will be with you just like he was with Hezekiah, just like he was with great, great grandma. But somebody in this house, I hope I'm rattling you to the core of your being. You need to pray until the house shakes. You need to shout until the walls fall down. You need to proclaim the word until the devil trembles. Somebody grab a hold of this. Stop being pushed. Claim that victory in who you are. You're more than a conqueror.